A reading from the book of Acts. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared, opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again. If you wouldn't mind, please bow your heads with me as I share one more word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we are looking at the back half of Acts chapter 5, and as we look at this passage, the message today is titled, The Gift of Obstacles. And I want to begin with this question. How do you handle obstacles that come your way? This fall and pretty much every fall that we have lived in Charleston, we make a trek up to the Blue Ridge Mountains during the autumn 
uh, leave change. Anyone else have that tradition of going up to Brevard or Asheville, that area, and seeing the leaves change? It's spectacular. And so uh, as we do every year around the fall break that my wife and kids have, we plan to go up in mid-October and see the leaves change. And here's a picture of the Blue Ridge Parkway. Uh, let's try that again. Here's a picture of the Blue Ridge Parkway. And you can see how gorgeous it looks during the fall season. Um, so we had it in our mind. In fact, when it's so hot in the summer, all we can really think about is apple picking and those little apple donuts you can get that are fresh in the fall. And so we rented this Airbnb, and my wife, they have a Thursday and Friday off from school. And um, we were really excited uh, until they actually came home, and I met them at the door, and I said, hey, babe, you ready to go? And she's like, yep. And she just kind of walked by me. I knew something was amiss. And then my oldest son, who had just come home a little earlier, he walks up to his mom and says, Mom, did you happen to get me some snacks for the trip? Well, lo and behold, she had not because she thought he had stopped uh, and gotten some snacks at the Jiffy store uh, by himself. You see, in our family, to go on a road trip, it requires going to a Jiffy store and getting some odd snacks. At least that's my wife's tradition. Well, he was mad because he didn't get the snacks and in walk Blaze and Sailor with their junk food. And he goes, what's the deal? Where are my snacks? You know, and that's how the, the transition began as we started trying to pack and get in the car that Wednesday afternoon this fall. Soon thereafter, our daughter Sailor said, I don't feel well, mama. I think I'm going to throw up. And I go, well, this is good. <laughs> and then we don't have a full-size SUV. Uh, we have a mid-size SUV, and it has one of those third-row jump seats. And maybe I'm just too stubborn or cheap. I don't know. But I thought we can all still pack in this mid-size SUV, even though we are giants. Bad idea. So no one wants to get in that third row. But Caden can't get in there, and Sailor's sick. So Blaze is forced to go in the third seat. And he's upset, so he stops talking. Caden's right in front of him in the second row like this. Imagine a clown car with giraffes. Okay, this is Caden. He's 6, 7, 15 years old. And then Sailor's next to him saying, I'm going to throw up. And he's like, well, stop talking. And she gives him the dirty look. And, and then he's like, she give me the dirty look. At this point, I know none of the parents in the room do this. At this point, Carly's just checked out. She's done. She's already exhausted from teaching half the week. So she's just sitting there numb in the front seat. And there's all this bickering going on. As we pull out to go to this beautiful scene. And soon thereafter, I went into my full Clark Griswold mode. I said, this is going to be a trip of a lifetime. We're going to be singing zippity-doo-dah down the Blue Ridge Parkway. Not really, but that's what I was thinking. But they were fighting, and I said, please stop fighting. Please stop fighting, guys. Do you think that worked? It did not work. I know none of y'all have this trouble when you go on road trips. Never. Okay, if you do, just blink at me, okay? If you've ever had this trouble, just, okay, audience participation. All right, listen. Finally, we're making it just off Daniel Island. We're on the Donholt Bridge, that beautiful uh, piece of architecture. Anyway, 
Um, we're on the downhole bridge, and guess what I say? This isn't working. I'm out. And I was done. We hadn't even made it to North Charleston. <laughs> I got off the first exit by the paper mill and turned right back around, and it was silent in the car. Some people started apologizing. I couldn't hear it. I wouldn't hear it. We drove back to Daniel Island. I got out of the car and said, I'm sorry, I'm out. I just can't do this. I don't see how it's going to work. And so I went and hid in a, a room upstairs in the dark. People were upset, didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. But here's what I learned in that moment. And I think here's what I was listening uh, and hearing from God, which is despite the obstacles, including my own hard heart, Caden especially, who I'd been the hardest on, he needed my care, not my condemnation. I had one of those dad fail moments where I kind of came down hard on Caden. And I didn't want to drive up to North Carolina in two cars, but we really didn't have a choice. Caden had just gotten his restricted license, and uh, I just felt God prompt me to do something a little odd, which is I said, Caden, grab your keys. You and I are going to drive together. You're going to drive me to North Carolina. I needed God's grace. He needed God's grace. And guess what? God's grace showed up. And it was a beautiful time of driving together. How do you handle obstacles when they come your way in life? I think that's at the heart of our passage. I think the big idea this morning from the second half of Acts 5 is this. Obstacles are opportunities, sometimes even appointments, to display the love of Jesus to our world. Now, mind you, this runs countercultural, especially towards our pop Christianity, prosperity gospel. Obstacles or opportunities, sometimes even appointments to display the love of Jesus to our world. Our passage shows three obstacles. One, we will run into the obstacle of separation. Two, we will run into an obstacle of jealousy. And three, we'll run into an obstacle of hostility by living out our faith. So let's dive in. Point one, as people of faith, we will encounter the obstacle of separation. What do I mean? Well, let's look at the passage. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So just to set the context for our text, where are we at? What does all this mean? Jesus came to the world as the Savior of love. We read that in the Gospels. And then he's essentially handing over that mission to a ragtag bunch of misfits like Evan and like Sailor and like Paul and Jonathan. He hands it over to the early church called the Apostles. And he fills them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. And then they start proclaiming and displaying the love of God everywhere they go. People are astonished. People start getting healed. They're prayed over. And uh, just the chapter before, you just see this. It's not just an individual endeavor. God is creating this community that is daring and dynamic and frankly disruptive 
with how much they love and are generous towards one another. Last week, Kenneth did a great job preaching about how God cares about the sacredness, not really the self-interest of this community. And here we are, they're still performing wonders, the word's getting out, but did you catch it? They're meeting sometimes publicly, and it says um, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded. I don't know, have you ever experienced the distance or separation from friends or family when you start coming to church or you start talking about Jesus? It reminds me, sometimes God calls us to step up, which requires we step out. Saying yes to one thing, no to another. Yes to certain people, no to another. I went back in my emails and found an email from August 29, 2013. Why is this email important? Well, it's the first email my family sent out to announce that we were planting a church on Daniel Island. We had been running a community group through a church about 30 minutes away. And ironically, we had called it DI Fellowship. So we wrote this email to that community group and um, other friends in Charleston. And it, and it reads like this, good morning. We are writing this email with great love and excitement. Over the past year and a half, we've had the opportunity to live on Daniel Island and come to know and love the people here. In our experience, many of the people are transplants to Charleston, seeking a place where they can focus on family, soak in beauty, enjoy adventures, and yet still hold regional, national, or international jobs. Coincidentally, many are from New England. And I'm just curious, how many people are transplants to Charleston in the room right now? The majority of the room. Over the summer, we felt the Lord calling us to a fresh season of prayer. Several things became clear. Number one, our love for Charleston, especially the people of Daniel Island and other transplants, it runs deep. Number two, our love for you and your families is real. We really do pray for you guys all the time, and we desire to grow our families together with you in Jesus over the long haul. Number three, we have a vision to connect and serve citywide and national faith-based charitable leaders. This work is still budding, and it's called the Holy City Collective, which ironically, we didn't have the space yet. Number four, we believe God is calling us to step out in faith in obedience to plant an intimate, innovative, missional church for Daniel Island and beyond. As friends who have gotten to know our hearts, our ask is simple. Please pray for us and for this island. Scripture's clear, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, Zechariah 4, 6. In a humble yet bold manner, we want all that we do to be bathed in prayer and led by the Spirit of the living God. Feel free to ask questions. We'll circle back soon. In the Father's love, Paul, Carly, Caden, Blaze, and Sailor. So we shared this news that we felt called to not just idealistically, but actually realistically plant a church to love our neighbors and to love our city. So we sent this to core friends, some family, and we just for whatever reason, thought people would circle around us and join us. That didn't happen. In fact, for the next four to six months, no one joined us. 
And to be very honest, that was very hard on my wife. She goes, have we made a big mistake? What's going on? And I said, you know, sometimes God calls us to rise up, which calls us, causes us to step out. And if God's in this, the people will come. And sure enough, they started coming. Have you ever experienced the pain of separation or distance that comes from following Jesus? That's what the early church was experiencing. That's a byproduct of saying yes to one thing and no to another. And just to make it even more real, I work out at a gym called O2. It used to be called East Shore Athletic Club. And um, when the word started getting out that I was a pastor planting a church, people had different reactions to me. And to this day, there's a gentleman at O2 that still won't talk to me. He doesn't know what to do with me. It's been five years. And there's something in his heart that there's distance there. But the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this isn't unusual, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we're an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Here's the point. When you feel isolated in your faith, in your journey, don't lose hope. That's actually kind of normal. Stay the course as you face the obstacle of separation. Point two, the obstacle of jealousy. The passage goes on, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with what? Jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Here's the deal. While we might experience new joy and friendship in Jesus, others around us might not be so excited. The hate might start coming our way directly or indirectly. I came across a story from N.T. Wright I'd like to share about this point. Imagine you're a manager of a great concert hall or opera house, the Met in New York or, say, Albert Hall in London. For generations, this place has been the place which concert goers have flocked in the thousands. Week after week, year after year, all the glittering international stars have played and sung here. Every performance is reported in the press. A grateful public subscribes for whole seasons of concerts all at one time. And then, quite suddenly, in the middle of your busy season, a small informal group begins to perform. Day after day, night after night, right outside the main door of the concert hall. It's a motley crew of musicians, and they're playing a strange mixture of ancient classical music and rowdy new music, sometimes putting them together in an unprecedented fashion. Well, you think people come and go. Strange things happen. There's probably no harm in it. But then you realize that a lot of the people who ought to be coming into your concert hall are coming to see and hear this little ragtag group of musicians. Crowds gather, and they stay outside listening to the new music rather than coming inside to hear the advertised program. And soon the leaders of the new band become well-known. People are talking about them, writing newspaper articles about them, rather than paying attention to the proper stars. Now as a manager, you become seriously worried. Perhaps it's time to call the police. 
and have them moved on or even arrested for disturbing the peace. I think it's pretty clear that the early church was disturbing the peace by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you had people starting to slander them, resent them, the religious leaders. You see, fresh leadership triggers fresh slander. Can you relate? And here's the thing. God doesn't lead his people away from the trouble. He leads them right back into it. The passage continues. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they'd been told and began to teach the people. I love it. The angel doesn't rescue them and say, flee. He, he rescues them and says, continue what you're doing. Stand up and share about this love that changes everything. And in those days, they didn't even have a term called Christian yet. They didn't know what to call this new thing. They just knew they needed to proclaim uh, the story and the life change that comes through knowing and trusting in Jesus. They called it the new life. And of course, I'm sure they quoted from Jesus himself, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So here these apostles, they're released from jail. They don't run away. They rise up and they start declaring in Jesus is life. And do you know him? You see, the Sadducees could arrest the apostles, but could not arrest the gospel. I love that quote from John Stott. So here's the point. When you're slandered, when we're slandered, we're not supposed to lose our purpose or our call. We're not supposed to run away. We're supposed to rise and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Go stand in the temple courts, Tim, and tell the people about this new life. When we are walking in faith, we'll experience the ob obstacle of separation and an obstacle of jealousy. And then we see the obstacle of hostility. This is when it gets hot. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail, they're standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers, brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that people would stone them. And the apostles were brought in and made to stand before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You see, when a person's worth is based on power and not love, they become dangerous. If anyone should have known and embraced Jesus, it should have been the religious leaders, the church leaders, right? They were missing it. It's kind of a cautionary tale, right? You can be in the religious circles and miss it, specifically miss him. It can become more about rules than relationship. 
So much so that when Jesus, the long-expected Messiah King, came, they missed it. They missed him. And now blood's on their hands. They are the ones that said, crucify him. They rallied in Matthew 27 to have Jesus crucified him. Why? Because their worth was based on power and position, not love. They had lost their way. They were losing their power. And they were bringing that hostility to Peter and the apostles. And yet in the face of the hostility, what does Peter do? He shares the gospel. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And here's the deal. How can we face obstacles? How can we face difficulties, hardships, suffering with the same courage as the apostles? Well, if we understand the fullness of the gospel, I think we can stand in any situation, any circumstance. So for those who grew up in the South, I especially want you to tune in right now. The gospel is not just about forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of Jesus. It's about the lordship of Jesus. Don't miss this. It's not about saying, just forgive me of my sins, and then I'm just going to white-knuckle it till eternity. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, yes, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed hanging on a, on, on a cross, but God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. He's alive and active now. And king over all, he holds all the cards right now. And you see, if we believe in Jesus, we can trust in his sovereignty in every minute, in every moment, in every season of our lives. That's how they stood up to suffering. It reminds me of this story from my wife's childhood. Uh, she has a little brother, a couple of little brothers. She's the oldest of four. She has a little brother that was born with heart defects, has had at least six open heart surgeries. So the family treated him with extra care, and yet sometimes it went too far. You see, they would say, Justin, do this, or Justin, think this, or blah, 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 blah. And, and finally he said, enough, you're not the boss of me. And he would say it to his siblings over and over and over again. Have you ever heard that in your house? You're not the boss of me. And so Justin, that was, became kind of his, his favorite phrase, even though Carly was trying to help him by bossing him around. He would say, Carly, you're not the boss of me. Jake, you're not the boss of me. Fonda, you're not the boss of me. And Peter's saying, Sanhedrin, you're not the boss of me. I know who holds the cards. I know who's prince and king and who's sovereign over all things. Do you know him? Are you trusting him with all things in whatever moment, whatever minute, whatever season you're at in this life? See, they fully trusted him. God didn't lead them out of hardship. 
He actually led them into hardship. God sometimes will lead you not away from suffering, but into it. Why? To proclaim and display the love of God found in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. One of the rabbis, one of the most famous rabbis in history, he got it. I think you say his name, Gamaliel. He stands up and says, okay, listen. He turns, they remove Peter and the apostles, and he turns to the court, the Sanhedrin, and he says, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Let me use layman's language for this. He basically is saying, if they're wrong, it's no big deal. But if they're right, it changes everything. If Jesus really is who he said he is, if he really is the prince, the leader, the king, not just the savior, he holds all the cards. And we'll end up fighting God. So what's the point? Well, in the face of threats, we can all have courage. Whatever you're facing, Kendra, whatever you're facing, Jonathan, whatever decision, hardship, God loves you and is sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over all of life. You need not be afraid. So in summary, obstacles are opportunities sometimes even appointments to display the love of Jesus to our world. Facing obstacles, have you ever considered that God has not abandoned you, but wants to use you? He wants to use you. He wants to love you and shine through you. If we feel that separation, I encourage you to be a person of hope. He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're facing slander, I encourage you to stay the course. Tell about this new life in Jesus. If you're facing hostility, I call you to have audacious courage. I call us to be that kind of community where we see obstacles as opportunities, even appointments, to proclaim and display the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that this message would land in the hearts of everyone in this room, whatever they're facing, that they know that you love them and you are sovereign over them in life. We have a choice of our own, of replying to you with humility or hostility. God, may we be humble as we respond to this message and trust you with our all and our everything. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.